Hi, everyone. This is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries. We're an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, Messianic Jews, Messianic Gentiles. That's lovers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. For as Ephesians 2 says in, in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the age of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them we also once live in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up and seated us together in heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua, that's Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Messiah Yeshua. So, Jerry, what are we studying today? Good morning, gents. Good morning. Good to be with you. Good morning, radio audience, podcast audience, and however you are sampling this conversation, we're just so happy to have you on board. want to wish you all a wonderful day in the Lord. I think it's been a while since we've reminded everybody about some of the terms we use, and maybe uh, start out this morning again by saying that we study the Parsha, which is the Hebrew word for the idea of the uh, several different divisions that the Torah has been uh, cut up into. Uh, Each week has a different portion, and in Hebrew that portion is called the Parsha. Our Parsha this morning is called Bo, and if we haven't said it before, let me say it now that each Parsha has a Hebrew name, and that name comes from the first important idea, and I should say that's important on in the minds of those who divided it up, but uh, the, the first big idea, it's not always the first word in Hebrew, but uh, it is a Hebrew word, and in this case, uh, our Parsha begins at, Hebrew, at uh, Exodus chapter 10, uh, and in verse 1 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh. That phrase, go in, is the name of our Parsha, Bo. So he is going to Bo uh, to Pharaoh. He's going to go into Pharaoh. The uh, other th- scriptures that we look at we call the Haftarah. That is the portion after Uh, It is derived from the writings of the prophets, and in the Hebrew Bible, the prophets uh, are set up a little bit differently than we have them in our English Bible. The prophets include not only the major and minor prophets that we're used to seeing in uh, our Bibles, but the books of Joshua, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings are also considered Uh, early prophets in the Hebrew Bible, and so uh, sometimes the readings could be from one of those books, but the Haftor is the prophets. And then we have a New Testament portion that is coupled uh, with these uh, Old Testament portions, uh, various Messianic uh, rabbinic organizations try and find passages that will be uh, simpatico, if you will, uh, with the Old Testament portions that that we read. So our uh, portions this morning are uh, bow in the uh, prophet in in the uh, Torah. We have a reading from uh, Jeremiah in our Haftarah, and we have a reading in First Corinthians chapter eleven for our New Testament portion. As we get started. One of the things that we have not really commented on yet is something that does come up very frequently in this uh, Exodus narrative, and that's the idea of serving. We see repeatedly that Hashem, the Lord, uh, instructs Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may come and serve me. 
this is a contest, clearly, because Pharaoh has been making uh, hay, if you will, from the service of the Israelite people all these years. He has made them his slaves, his servants. It's the same word, all right? And so uh, this word to serve suggests not only the physical labor, but it is also applied in other places as a spiritual service as well. So that uh, when God says, let them come out and serve me, he is not talking about a uh, physical service as much as the spiritual service of worshiping God. But he is definitely confronting Pharaoh. You have enslaved my people. You have forced them into a service that is foreign to what I have for them right? Uh, I called Abraham to come and serve me, to worship me, Abraham, my servant. And so uh, you, Pharaoh, have taken Abraham's offspring and you have pressed them into a service that I did not design for them. And now it is time for them to come out and serve me as I had planned. So there is this, this confrontation that is set up over the idea of whom will the Israelites serve? Who will you serve? You know, that is a very important question for all of us, whether we are back there as slaves in Egypt or we find ourselves today still slaves to sin. Because Egypt is a picture of the sinful state in bondage to sin, in bondage to Satan. And so some of us who might be listening uh, never have received Yeshua as the payment for our sins, and we're still struggling in that slavery of sinful bondage, right? Others of us who have claimed Yeshua as our Savior still have to ask this question of ourselves. Whom will I serve? Who, who is my master? And so I want to maybe have you guys jump in here and think out loud a little bit about service. Let's just be frank. Uh, even with the Israelites, they came out and Moses led them out and God delivered them. And maybe we'll have a chance to talk about the strong hand also. I think that's another thing that we want to maybe touch on. But it wasn't long before they got discouraged and wondered where this Moses was when he went up the mountain and they went and served a golden calf. They were given an opportunity to go into the promised land and they rebelled and God gave them 40 years of wandering so that that generation would die off. A new generation arises. They go in in great victory under Joshua. But what are Joshua's last words? Choose who you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve Hashem, the Lord. So this is an ongoing problem for the people of God. And we should not be surprised uh, if we are in the same place as the Israelites of having to constantly ask the question, who am I serving? Who am I serving? So what do you want to say about all that? Wow. Um Exodus 10, our Parsha day, says that the, in verse 2, it says all the purposes of, uh, well, in verse 1, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs in the midst of them, and thou may tell us. In the ears of thy son and thy son's son, what I have wrought upon Egypt and my signs which I have done among, among them, that ye may know that I am the Lord. So the given is that God is sovereign. And he, the other given is he's given us free will. And so the, the question really is, with our free will, are we going to serve ourselves? Are we going to serve God? And and then in verse 3, it says, And <clears throat> Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble my, thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. 
And the comment about refusing to humble thyself is that the real cause of Pharaoh's sin after all these plagues, refusal to humble himself before God, and Pharaoh would not really humble himself until he made God's will his own and fulfilled his oft-given promise to permit the Israelites to leave Egypt. His heart was hardened, but his will was still free, and he could repent if he, cho- if he chose. So it's the same thing with us, right? I mean, we were given free will. We can exalt ourselves like Pharaoh did or humble ourselves unto God and, and, and serve his will. And, um, you know, that's a choice we make every day, every decision, every choice. And it's the battle we have, you know. And I think about the United States, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. and the individualism and everything. And it, and it is great, you know, that we have this freedom in the United States. But there's so many idols out there we can choose to serve. And, you know, are we one nation under God anymore? Are we choosing to serve God to align our will as individuals and as a country with God's will? Or are we pursuing our, are we exalting ourselves? Or pursuing our own passions. I mean that word distinction. That first that first part of it, D-I-S, means to separate or set apart. And when you when you make that that distinction of anything, you know, you can look at anything and have discernment or distinction, and and put it in the category of whether it's good or bad or right or wrong. And I think that's um, that comes down to the individual, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, idea that God put a distinction between His people and the Egyptians is. A, a an important part of uh, how we approach our lives in Messiah. I mean, we we have to understand. Uh, Peter Peter uses the word that we're a peculiar people, right? And uh, we we often as humans are uncomfortable with sticking out, right? Uh, as much as we talk about uh, being nonconformists, we're we're pretty conformist for the most part, and are not most of us that anxious about drawing attention to ourselves by being different. Uh, we, we, we like being able to uh, dissolve, melt into the crowd, so to speak. And God continually is calling us uh, to uphold this distinction in, in a variety of ways, uh, whether it's in uh, the programming that we will or will not watch, whether it's in the level of uh, coarse or abusive language that we will or will not engage in, uh, whether that's online or in person, um, <clears throat> uh, whether we will really be faithful in our marriages or will we treat them as disposable items like the world does, you know, all kinds of situations that we're called to come out from among them uh, and, and be ye separate, says the Lord, as Paul quotes the scripture in Second Corinthians. Um, we were talking specifically about service here uh, and, and the idea of how to serve. There's this idea, uh, silent quitting, I think it's called. Have you heard of this? Uh, people who just kind of come in and go through the motions and clock out and they're done. Uh, and, and it made me think of this passage. Paul is instructing the Ephesian church on what has been called house rules. And the uh, house rules that he's already covered have had to do with relations between uh, husbands and wives, parents and children, and now he's talking about slaves. And let's, let's keep in mind that slavery uh, in the ancient days was... Uh, commonplace. There were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. Slavery was a different concept than the chattel slavery that we are most familiar with here in America where people were owned and abused. Uh, That there was uh, the idea that these were indentured servants, a lot of them. Um, the, The relationship of slave to master uh, was real, but not 
in the same way as what we are typically thinking of when we talk about slavery in America. And so Paul talks to slaves, and this is one of the, the, the things that, that uh, people who, who speak against Christianity often bring up is that we endorse slavery. No, Paul dealt with a, a social and cultural reality that was ubiquitous everywhere and talked about now within our cultural reality, here's how we will live as followers of Yeshua. So he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would obey Messiah. Because what he is asserting here is that this is part of what the sovereign God has laid out for your path. That your slave-master relationship is still something that is under the sovereign control of God. So you need to obey your earthly masters as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Now the boss is here, I better pick up the pace. Boss <laughs> left, I can slack off, Right. Not as I please, not 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 by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Messiah, doing the will of God from the heart. What is he saying there? He is saying that our work is part of the good will of God for me, and that goes all the way back to the garden, right? That one of the things God ordained for the man and the woman was to work and keep the garden. So God is blessing uh, our labor and reminding us here that whatever relationship we're carrying out that labor, whether as independent business people or employees, I mean, we don't have this idea of slavery any longer, but as employees, we are commanded, let's, let's be honest, we're commanded here to serve our employers as if we are serving Messiah to the same degree, with the same passion, with the same uh, push for excellence, however you want to talk about those things, that we would give to Messiah if he was there in the boss's office. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a left turn here you take in, Jerry, but... Uh I think what you're getting at is it's the condition of the heart because in Pharaoh's, you know, condition here, his hardened heart that we've talked about, mm -hmm. and it says, and in, in Exodus 10, 7 says, and Pharaoh's <laughs> servants said unto him, how long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? So, you know, we all choose to serve something, right? And if we, if we serve something that's not in alignment with God's will, we're going to be ensnared by it too. So I think what Paul's getting at is, Make sure whatever you're serving, you're doing it from a place in your heart of, like Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So do serve the master like this is your good works that God has prepared for you to do and walk in them. Mm -hmm. But make sure you're not serving someone who's going to ensnare you, you know. Yes. So, I mean. Yeah, thanks for broadening that out. I absolutely am, am suggesting that in everything that we do as followers of Messiah, we are first understanding that we serve him and that what I am doing in a, any relationship, employer, employee, husband, wife, and that's the point that, that comes through prior to this in Ephesians is that my first commitment is as a servant of God. And because I am a servant of God, this is how I will act in service to the people in my relationships. And it's, what, it's why God is telling 
Pharaoh to let his people go so they may serve him. Mm -hmm. Not that these are the good people I choose or, you know, not that Joshua is saying, oh, look, you Israelites are blessed and, you know, it's (laughs) because you're chosen and you got this, you know, land of milk and honey. It's no. It's who are you going to serve? Right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's a bargain. This is a bargain. You know, it's at the time here when, because in this chapter of Exodus, I mean, in this Torah portion we're studying today, is it goes through the 10th plague and the Passover and the institution of the holiday of Passover and the setting the Israelites free, you know, and this is the formation of their national identity. The seeds were set with the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the real nation is born at this moment. And the very time the nation is born, what are they born with? They're born with the commandment to remember the conditions in which they were born. And that means there was, they were spared the darkness, they were spared the killing of the firstborn, Mm -hmm. and they were set free with the bread of the feast of unleavened bread and the bread of affliction, you know, which is later called the bread of affliction. So, you know, this, this, this serving God is, you know, like I said earlier, it's a, it's a daily struggle. Am I going to serve myself, exalt myself, my pride, my desires, my wants, you know, or am I going to walk in, you know, the light and try to serve God? And, you know, and he also says, you know, get rid of the yeast, you know, that come clean. You know, we, I want you, but you got to get rid of things. What's the yeast mean? Well, there? I think it's a sin in, in, in their lives that it represent, does it not? And that's what he's saying. You know, he's he's making a distinction here too. So I think it's um, it's good all over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, kind of jumped into the Passover idea by bringing in yeast here. <laughs> um, but let's let's kind of maybe wrap up this because because here's a verse that we we say repeatedly on, on our on our show here is uh, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. And that's what we're talking about, service. That's really what it comes down to. Whose, whose will is going to prevail today? Whose will is going to prevail moment by moment? Uh, will you say, uh, not my will or yours be done? Or are you going to say, you know, God, uh, I'm, I'm going to take over on this one? You know, when he says that, that verse is saying that, that denying yourself, that the, the human side of person or me is saying, do I have to deny what I want? Do I really want to deny myself? But what it is, I think, is that uh, when you deny yourself, you're putting priority in your life. You're putting God as the priority in your life, first and foremost. I mean, you can ha- you can still have these activities, but but put it down put it down the la- put it down the stream a little bit. Have Him first. But if your hobbies are getting in the way or something else is getting in the way, you know, reprioritize re- reprioritize your life to have God at the center of it. And th- this is what I was wrestling with younger in my life, is that I was wanting to do my hobbies, want to go first on the weekends. And sometimes I'll, I'd admit here that I went fishing on Sunday morning. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm saying, then it occurred to me after a while, I said, here I am putting fishing first and not, and then putting God and worshiping him second mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings. And then it, of course, it, over years, it, it finally shifted around and, and and by denying yourself is denying it's not completely denying your 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 activities so to speak but priority by, by prioritizing god first and then everything falls in line and you know when we do sin because we all sin mm-hmm. and that what's that what's that sin mean we're disobedient and we put ourselves first. We exalt ourselves as Pharaoh did here. And it's so interesting because in Exodus ten sixteen, after the plague of the locusts, it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. 
Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and take away from me this death only. And, and then he hardens it, but then in verse 20 he says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. And it's like, you know, when our conscience, when we're disobedient, and our conscience pings us, what are we going to do when our conscience pings us? Are we going to harden our heart to it, not listen to it, or are we going to repent and ask for forgiveness and yield to it. Absolutely. And 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 you know, it's not only this once. And that's why we're so fortunate to have Yeshua as our savior because when we sin today, when we sin tomorrow, we can come to Yeshua who is our great mediator and ask for God's forgiveness through the blood of Yeshua. Amen. And John says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of who it is that paid the price, who it is that stands advocating for us. All God is asking for us is an honest heart, right? There's that heart thing again. It's always the heart. And, and, and the <laughs> honest part there. We have to learn to cultivate our conscience and to listen to our conscience, that small, still voice, and repent and ask for forgiveness, not only this once, Mm -hmm. but over and over. And that's what humble ourselves really means. Yes. Well, the thing I like about that, that quote from Yeshua about, taking up your cross and denying yourselves is that, you know, when Paul prays for the power of the resurrection, to, that, that we would experience the power of the resurrection, we have to understand that resurrection only comes after death, right? And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's t- talking about, you need to die yourself so that I can raise you up <laughs> to live in the newness of life I intend for you, right? There's, I mean, the reality is uh, our old man has been put to death uh, through faith in Yeshua, but we still wrestle with him because that death is is some people have compared it to you know the 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 d-day invasion the the end is for sure but there's still a lot of fight left in the in 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 the in the uh, enemy there um that's that's the the battle that we're talking about and it's a process don't you think jerry Yes, we are always moving towards greater and greater holiness. I love the way Paul says it, though, in, in Corinthians. I, I'm not sure the verse. It's Second Corinthians, maybe chapter 4. But he says, we are being changed from glory to glory. As we walk with Jesus each day, as we go through this, this spiritual warfare of dying to ourselves and living through the Spirit to God, uh, as we do that more and more, we become battle-hardened. You know, we become crusty old veterans, if you will, um, and, and we are advancing. We are moving forward in holiness. That is, that is what Paul is always calling us to is, is you know, you, you need to be moving towards maturity. You need to be moving towards... And the idea of perfection is a little misleading because we'll never be perfect in this life, but we will be perfect in the... Olam haba, the age to come, uh, but the the word perfect and the word mature in Greek is the same word. Telos. We're moving towards the goal, towards the end that we were designed for. You know, uh, famously that that Westminster Confession question one is what is the chief purpose of man or what is the chief end of man? It is to uh, and glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right. So that is the 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 motion of our lives as we serve God, as we uh, fight the daily battle of of repenting and dying to self and living to God 
that that's where we're moving and ultimately we're moving what what is what does paul say our calling is to be transformed into the image of his son we are being changed into the very image of god's son and and you know don't you think that this uh historical and in the world condition and that in in Exodus 11 it says that ye may know that the Lord does put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel you know in terms of the darkness and the light the plagues and between these two people this there's this line of distinction don't you think that's what happens in us we know when we're taking our denying ourselves taking up our cross and following yeshua in the spirit you know symbolically we're in the in the saved camp you know Mm -hmm. the one in the light the israelites there or when we exalt ourselves harden our heart don't humble ourselves you know and we're ensnared you know, when and we're in the plagues, you know, of life, and we're in the Egyptians. I mean, it's the this is just in the physical world this great manifestation of God's power, miraculous power, and you know the starting the whole path of redemption that culminates for each of us through our Savior Yeshua mm-hmm. personally. You know. Mm-hmm. But it is the same sort of battle going on. It is, on. absolutely. And, and what Jerry was just saying, that he's transforming us from within all the time. But he's also, what I like in, on the one translation, he's creating a masterpiece within us to, to be like his son. Mm-hmm. And to me, that, that, that's a miracle. That, yeah. that just that brings everything to to the to the forefront i think and and the commentary here under the institution of the passover in chapter 12 it says the deliverance from egypt is to be not only from physical but also from spiritual slavery mm-hmm. and you know that that is why you know we need the blood of Yeshua because we cannot be delivered from spiritual slavery to our sins without being washed clean in our conscience through the blood of Yeshua. So that seems like a good segue to get to chapter 12 in particular. Uh, Leading up to chapter 12, let me just say, having grown up going to Seder's, Seder is the... uh, 14th night of the month of, uh, it's called Nisan now, it, it was called Av back then. The, um, Seder is the celebration of the night that the Israelites were commanded to slaughter their lambs. Remember, the lamb had been under inspection uh, for several days prior to make sure that it was without blemish. And on the 14th night, they s- slaughtered their lambs. They took the blood and they put it on the doorposts on each side and over the top so that when the angel of death uh, went over the land of Egypt, he would see the blood and pass over uh, Pesach, pass over that house. Uh, and so in, in the springtime, when we Jews gather together for Seder, it is the first night of Pesach, the Passover. It is followed by the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread, Uh, in which we are to uh, eat only unleavened bread. Anything that has leaven in it, bread, cake, anything else, uh, that's all uh, swept out of the house. And it is to commemorate this night that God passed over our houses. We've been to, uh, well, I've given away my age, 72 satyrs, I guess. Um... And it is notable in the Seder ceremony that much of it is directed to teaching the children. Because it says repeatedly, beginning in chapter 10, um, this idea of telling your children and your grandchildren. <clears throat> in, verse, in chapter 10, Lee already read it, but I'll say it again. 
that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. That's one of the highlights of the Seder services when we uh, yell at the top of our lungs the various plagues that God brought down onto Egypt. You'll tell that in the hearing of your sons. In chapter uh, where, where, chapters 12 and chapter 13 as well talk about uh, when you come you will tell this to tell this story to your children. So the idea is that this is this is a uh, an event, as Lee has already pointed out, the institution of the nation uh, coming out of slavery to serve God. Go ahead, Lee. You know, the I just want to bring out chapter uh, eleven, verse six. Because this is where the Lord is telling Moses about the last plague, right? Slaying Mm -hmm. the firstborn. And it says, And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has been none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog wet his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how the Lord just put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And I just want to say that if this is the Egyptians and Israel represent the unsaved and the saved, right? The condemned and those and the redeemed. That as a Messianic Jew, you know, that I am so grateful that Yeshua came to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, that all nations would be saved because this isn't just about the nation of Israel being saved. This is about all for by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen. And and this is the, the opportunity for faith for all people to know that the Lord is our God and that he has given his only son for our salvation like he did this great miracle to redeem the people Israel and, and constitute them as a nation at the time of the Passover. But what I just hope is that in the end times, you know, because the final chapter's been written in Revelations, you can read it, and there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of the people of Egypt who aren't saved. I just hope that our listeners are saved. They're not in the land of Egypt, that they know that God loves them so much that he would give his only son for their salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's for all people everywhere. Amen. Yes. <clears throat> when uh, chapter 13, the instructions are given for who can eat the Passover. Uh, there are non-Jews who are invited uh, to, to eat along with the Jewish people. Uh, the only qualification, uh, these are these people we've talked about before, the sojourners in the land. The Hebrew word is geir. Uh, these are the people who have pretty much been absorbed into Jewish culture. They have taken on Jewish thinking, Jewish philosophy, Jewish God, the, the, the Jewish God, really. And so as long as they have, uh, their males have taken on themselves the sign of the covenant, have been circumcised, they can eat the Passover. And so there is in that note here a, a forward look, if you will, to Yeshua in the idea that the Passover lamb uh, and, and let me just read this in, in 1 Corinthians and why, why uh, it's important to understand the Passover. Because Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 5. Uh, this was where uh, a man had been sleeping with his father's wife, and they were all very modern and sophisticated about it. Oh, that's okay. And Paul says, no, that's just all wrong, and you need to get rid of that guy. You need to put him out. 
He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here Paul is giving us a clear picture of the spiritual symbolism behind Passover. Good point. That we, in the, in the offering of the Passover lamb and the angel of death passing over us, we have a picture of our spiritual deliverance from sin. Okay? In the idea of leaven and purging out the leaven is the picture of the sin that still so easily entangles us, as, as the Hebrew writer uh, notes. Let us cast aside every weight of sin that so easily entangles us. Here, Paul is drawing a straight line from Exodus 12 to our experience as followers of Yeshua. He is the Passover lamb. It is because of his blood applied to the doorposts of our hearts that the death angel passes over us. Amen. Now, as redeemed people, what is our duty, our obligation? It is to deal ruthlessly with the leaven that still resides in us. Purge out the old leaven. Deal with it. Get rid of it. We are people who are redeemed from the leaven of Egypt, the leaven of sin, and it should have no place in our lives individually and in Paul's teaching here corporately as well we are responsible for keeping leaven out of the kahal the community of messiah and you know picking up on that theme there in exodus 12 12 it says for i will go through the land of egypt and i will smite all the firstborn land of egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and there shall be no plague be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And, you know, it's incredible when you think about the communion. Then, And this gets to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, which is our New Testament portion and in the institution of the Lord's Supper, because this is at the Passover Seder, okay? The Lord's Supper is the Passover Seder, and Yeshua picks up the matzah, the unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. This is called the bread of affliction. It says in, in, in 11, 23, 1 Corinthians 11, 23, I have received of the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Yeshua, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This unleavened bread, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after he had supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is, not only is he our lamb, his blood is the blood that protects us from death. Mm -hmm. And his body is the bread of affliction broken for us so that we can have the salvation that comes only through him. Blank space. Uh, I thought maybe uh, you wanted to jump in there, Bob. So the uh, Passover brings us to Yeshua and 
the Last Supper, because that is a Seder meal that they're participating in. Uh, his Seder would have been different than uh, what we commonly do today, because uh, after the temple was destroyed and there was no more place to bring your lamb, uh, lamb has been off the menu at, at Seder's, but uh, according to the teaching of Jesus' time, the way to keep a Seder properly was with the unleavened bread and the maror, the bitter herb, and the pasca is the Greek word uh, for the, the sacrificial lamb. Uh, and there's a famous teaching by Hillel that uh, Jewish people go on and on about, but it really boils down to this, this, is, this is the heart of the Passover, is the matzah, the unleavened bread, the bitter herb, the moror, and the Passover lamb. The matzah, unleavened, without sin. The moror, the bitter herb, to remind us of the bitterness of slavery. Not just the bitterness of the slavery under Pharaoh, but the bitterness of slavery under sin. For us as followers of Yeshua, this is what that is meant to inspire in us. Now, the bitter herbs don't get mentioned too much in the New Testament, but I can tell you as, as a New Testament Jewish person, uh, there's something pleasantly sadomasochistic about finding the strongest horseradish you can find and putting that in your mouth every year and the tears just, you know, it burns your head, it shoots right up through the top of your head and the tears come and there's a real connection to some of that affliction and you think, wow, if this little horseradish was, 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 was this, imagine what the people go through. Now think about the spiritual significance of that. What is the affliction that we experienced before our salvation because of sin? What is the experience of affliction that people around us are suffering because of sin's rule in their lives? And how can we bring them to experience not just the bitterness of Passover's remembrance, but the salvation and redemption Amen. that is in that Pascha lamb, and now Yeshua, our Passover, has been sacrificed on our behalf. How do we let people in on that? How can we tell them the glory of being delivered from sin, of standing before God with a clean conscience, not because of our righteousness, which we have done, because when we look in our hearts, we know the truth about ourselves, that there is no righteousness in us but because of the righteousness of the one. Going back to Exodus chapter 12, they took the lamb and they examined it for days to make sure it was without blemish before they slaughtered it and put its blood over their houses. Yeshua did public ministry for three years. No fault was found in him. He was crucified on trumped-up charges, right? He was examined for three years publicly, found to be without blemish. And so he became the suitable sacrifice for your sins and for mine. What a great, great story we have to tell about this glorious thing that God has done for us. And, and as, as First Corinthians... Uh, as First Corinthians six twenty says, "For you were bought with a price; mm -hmm. therefore, glorify God in your body." That's the b price that we were bought for. We were talking about the blood price, right? And I think of the situation in the Old Testament about the cities of refuge. And if you, were, um, if you had killed someone, you could flee to the city of refuge to avoid the avenger of blood, right? That you would not have to pay the blood price. All of those cities of refuge become symbols of Yeshua. He is where we flee for refuge for the blood price. Amen. The adversary has real accusations against us. And we flee to the city of refuge, to Jesus, to Yeshua, who has already paid the blood price. You were bought with a price. Yeshua, our 
Passover lamb has been sacrificed on our behalf. And it's just so wonderful, you know, going going back in here again to, to think about uh, maybe the one last thing we could talk about a little bit before we wrap up is God repeatedly talks about the signs that he's doing in Egypt. And repeatedly we see a, a phrase used about the Lord uh, bringing his people out with a strong hand. And we talked a little bit about this uh, in our, in our pre-show uh, discussion. Uh, these signs talk about a supernatural being with unlimited power exercised according to his righteousness. It would be a terrible thing if this power was given to a tyrant. Mm -hmm. But we read repeatedly in the scripture, one of the first, you know, we have the great definition of God in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate. But one of the things that you see in the Psalms repeatedly is the Lord is good. And so all of these signs, these exhibitions of God's complete control over nature, over opposing gods, are being exercised not in the attitude of a tyrant, uh, but in the attitude of a good and righteous God. We see the grace of God repeatedly in uh, warnings, in I think we talked about this last week when the uh, locusts came. They ate up everything that was above the ground, but there was still a harvest uh, or, or a crop that was below ground ready to come up in the next couple of months, so they weren't completely left without food. We see God's grace and invitation in <clears throat> the Egyptians who are watching and now beginning to take heart and bringing their own cattle in to, to avoid the hail. We often forget or don't consider how great our God is. And the supernatural is not as much a part of our conscious awareness as maybe we need to have it be. Yeah, you know... I think it's easy for us modern people, you called us modern mm -hmm. people, to poo-poo the supernatural, all these plagues, locusts, and hail, and boils, and frogs, and darkness, and light, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good story. No, God is in control, and, you know, if he define the laws of nature he can cause exceptions to the laws of nature or, or control the laws of nature and you know the supernatural part of the salvation of the strong hand that we have through Yeshua is that he asked the Holy Spirit he, he asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and it's the Holy Spirit that's the supernatural part of our salvation mm -hmm. because I can't overcome my sins without the Holy Spirit. You know, the besetting sins, mm -hmm. the ones that are mm -hmm. so deeply ingrained from who knows when in formation and my reactivity, you know, and, and, and without that supernatural help of the Holy Spirit— you know, there's no, there's no hope for me to be a new man, to be resurrected a new man. I, and, you know, I think that we take for granted that the, the Holy Spirit, the, the Godhead, right, mm -hmm. would the, the third person, the Trinity, would come and dwell in us. Amen. That is supernatural. Amen. That is. Well, yeah, let me just point out what Paul writes about the Spirit. He says <laughs> in 1 Corinthians, the natural person, that's you and me, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. 
And so if we are going to accept the things of the Spirit of God, we need supernatural activity in our lives. That is the Holy Spirit. You are dead on. You know, and in, 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 in our, the First Corinthians 11, after this, the Lord's Supper that we read, listen to what Paul says. He says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and unhealthy among you, and many die. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined <coughs> by the Lord, Hallelujah. so that we would not be condemned with the world. So... What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to humble us so we don't end up like Pharaoh with a hardened heart. Mm -hmm. And praise the Lord, that, and praise our Lord Yeshua that he would ask the Father, send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, because without that we'd be lost. We would be lost. Yeah, that's such a, a great passage there to tie it to humility, because that's exactly what Paul is is pointing his finger at them about is the way that they're acting. The richer Corinthians are taking advantage of and abusing the poorer Corinthians, and he is calling them to account. Don't you understand that all of you together are the body of Christ? And when you treat them the way that you do, you are not recognizing the body of Christ. Good yeah. point, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, and I uh, want to give you guys a chance to maybe land on one one last thing that really pops out at you well jerry can i share this one with you absolutely it says in uh on, on chapter 12 i'll read it it says um the israelites uh traveled from ramses to sukkoth and six hundred thousand soldiers on foot besides the israelites an ethnically diverse crowd also Mm -hmm. uh, went up with them with a huge number of livestock, flocks, and herds. You know, God has always had an open door. And as a Gentile, I used to think, you know, the Old Testament is about the Jewish people. But God's always had an open door for everybody. Amen. And, and that gives me, you know, just to say, you know, he didn't just save the Israelites. He, he saved anybody that put the blood on the doorpost. They were saved. Amen. And then he, he gives them an opportunity to join in the Passover dinner, be circumcised like the rest of us. And then, you you know, you, you with a circumcised heart. And that's what Yahshua did for us, circumcised Amen. our hearts. And I think it's a, a good lesson to have today. Amen. Amen. Lee, one last thing. This idea of the, of the firstborn... Of my sons I redeem. And in the in Exodus thirteen, sixteen it says, And it shall be for a sign upon thy hand, and for frontlets between thine eyes, for by the strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. And it just those words go back to the Shema, right? Mm -hmm. Because it says Thou shalt post them upon thy gates, and upon thy, they shall be frontlets between thine eyes, and sign upon thy hand. Mm -hmm. And what is what is it? What is that? He's saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy might. The great and love thy neighbors thyself, as Yeshua said, the greatest commandments. And why? Because he. By strength of hand, the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. He saved us. Hallelujah. So that's really where we want to land. He saved us. And as you're listening to us, we hope that he has saved you, that you are walking with the Lord. But we are also talking to people maybe who have never accepted the salvation that God offers in Yeshua. And if you feel like you understand enough and know enough and believe enough, of what we've been talking about, that you're a sinner with no hope except what God has provided in Yeshua, would you go ahead and pray this with me? Father in heaven, I recognize my sin and I repent. I see and believe that you sent Yeshua 
to pay the blood price for my sin. He died the death that I deserved, and I receive him now as my Savior and determined to live for you by the power of your Holy Spirit in me. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, would you let us know? And we hope to see you again next week. God bless you and shalom.